If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, Acts 2, 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have returned to this text over and over. Lord, as, as we do, um, as, we, as we preach on these, these sort of topical sermons of why do we do what we do, baptism, the Lord's Supper, church membership, God, we, we seem to always sort of go back to Acts 2. Lord, there's a reason for that. Father, you have given us a picture here of the first New Testament church. And as we continue to read the book of Acts, we see how this church grows and develops and the, the way that the gospel is sent out through the world. And God, when we read this, we long, we long, Father, to taste what they tasted. Lord, as we read about them breaking bread together, meeting together daily, having fellowship and communion with one another and with you, and seeing many wonders and many signs being done, Father, we long for that, the Redeemer Church. So, Father, today I pray that as we look at this issue of church membership, Lord, something that seems very pragmatic, very practical and... Um, almost non-theological. God, I pray that we would see this issue as a gospel issue. That we would see that we never leave the gospel, we never get beyond it, and everything that we do in the Christian life is somehow connected with and flows from an under- a true understanding of the gospel. And Father, I pray that if there are those here this morning that don't know you, that have yet to, by your grace, trust you with their lives, that you would call them out of darkness into your marvelous light. And they would join with us, Father, on this great commission of taking the gospel to the nations. So Father, be glorified during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So why do we practice church membership? Today, after the sermon, we're going to uh, affirm or confirm, I don't really know what the, the proper word is, um, confirm some, some new members of Redeemer Church. Uh, they're going to sign our church covenant. And some of you may be wondering, why do you do this? I mean, if you, I mean, in our day, with people our age, I mean, you know, sort of the younger generation, and, and even, yeah, and, and Jim as well. Um, in the older generation, um, 
but but no, it's true. I mean, even even like our parents' generation is sort of like when this this whole idea started. I think this sort of general suspicion of church membership, right? There's sort of this general suspicion or reluctancy to join with a local congregation. Join a basketball team? Sure. You know, we understand that. Join a country club? Not so much us, but, you know, the older generation. Sure. But join a church? I mean, is that really necessary? Is it really necessary, especially... You add the step of signing a document. Really? Is this like a job, like a contract or something that we're sort of signing up for? So what does all this mean, right? I mean, and so we just want to kind of examine this biblically. Like, where do we find this in Scripture? What does it mean for us as a church? And, and so hopefully, you know, by the end of this, it, it'll, it'll make some sense. But I, I attempted to just sort of define what church membership is. Um, and so the, um, the definition that I came up with is that church membership is the formal standing of a true follower of Christ in relation to the local church, whereby he or she is brought into a covenantal relationship with God, the leadership, and other members of the local church for the purpose of discipleship, fellowship, and community. That was the long one. This is the short one. I forgot that I changed it. A covenantal relationship between a Christian and a local church for the purpose of discipleship, fellowship, and community. Okay, So if church membership is a covenantal relationship between a Christian and the church for the purpose of discipleship, fellowship, and community. Okay, um, So that's just sort of a general definition. Now, where do we find this in Scripture? Well, we just read in Acts chapter 2 of the description of sort of the first church. Right, This is after uh, Peter gets up and preaches. The Holy Spirit uh, has just come upon the apostles, and now he preaches, and you see that there are uh, thousands of people that were joined with the church. And we see in verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that here in the very first church, the Bible, the scripture speaks to us and says that God added people to the number of the congregation. Now we don't want to make too much of this. Um, but there's the, the idea of a number. So in other words, here from the very beginning of the church, it's clear that the church knows who's in and they know who's out. Okay? When people are added to your number, even if you don't have a specific number and you're not counting them, which I don't think that's what the text says, but the, the, the point of the text is that they knew who was there. Right? It was obvious that those who had joined them had become a part of them, and it was obvious that there were others on the outside. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're just going to kind of look at some, you know, a few passages in the New Testament about kind of where we get this idea of church membership and, and then talk about some implications. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, 
I am present in spirit. And as a present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meeting the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So here in 1 Corinthians 5, we have this, this uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, there is a man in your midst who is Involved in sexual immorality. And you, I mean, this is not even tolerated among pagans. And you are boasting about it. I mean, you are being arrogant about this. And he says, this man needs to be removed from among you. Okay, we can get into all that, what this means about church discipline and all that, all the, that stuff. But the point this morning is that formal exclusion presupposes formal inclusion, right? Okay, so to be formally excluded from a congregation presupposes that that person is formally included. So once again, here in in the church of Corinth, you have the Apostle Paul assuming, right, that there's a formal standing of the believers at the church, that they are somehow counted among the number at the church in Corinth, okay? If you're going to formally exclude someone... That means there has to be, there's some, being included means something, right? So we see that they knew, once again, who was in and who was out, okay? Turn to 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 7. Start in verse 5, actually. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, not to Paul, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. You should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And so it's talking about uh, maybe the same person that's been excluded from the church at Corinth. and, and, And he's saying... I mean, the whole purpose of excluding him, right, is so that he might repent and be brought back in to the congregation. So here's Paul writing, okay, um, you should rather turn and forgive him, comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Uh, But the whole, the point of this passage is that there's this idea of the majority, right? The majority within the congregation um, have essentially voted this person out, okay? 
we can get into all the sort of church government issues, but the point is there's a majority. How do you know there's ever a majority? Anywhere. You count them, right? There has to be a number. So, so that once again, there's this idea of you know who's in and you know who's out. There's a clear distinction. Um, because how else will, will there ever be a majority unless there is a specific number? Turn to 1 Timothy 5, 9. Look at one more passage in the New Testament. First Timothy 5 verse 9 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. So, this is just Paul writing to Timothy, and he's saying, he's giving sort of just general regulations on caring for the widows of the church. And we see that there's a process, right? There's a list, an enrollment of widows. So if there's a list of widows or some, side, some, some sort of process or uh, count or tally of widows, there's probably a good chance that there's a list of other people in the church as well, Right? I mean, else how will you know who the widows are without a list? How will you know who other groups within the church are without some general idea of, once again, who's in and who's out, right? And so this whole idea of knowing who is part of your church and who is not is in the New Testament, okay? So, so we see that there are examples of this idea of a count or a number or a membership in the local church, okay? So that's sort of the whole point um, to, to looking at these passages. And then just one more thing uh, in, the, in the New Testament is you have this word outsiders being mentioned um, at least five times in the New Testament. First uh, Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 14, Colossians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Timothy 3. And this word outsiders is always used to make a distinction between those who are inside the church and those who are outside. Okay, um, so even the, the, just this term outsiders gives us this idea of uh, knowing who's in and who's out. Okay, um, and then you, you just add on to that this, the the fact that most of Paul's letters were not written to church or, or were, were written to churches, not individuals. Right? They're written to the churches. So, I mean, in order to fulfill New Testament expectations of Christian living, how will you do those? I mean, how will you do what Paul has commanded us to do in Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians unless you're actually joined with a local church? Because those letters are not written to individuals. You realize that, right? The word one another, I mean, Jim mentioned this when he preached on community. One another is used 48 times in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, care for one another, rebuke one another. So you have all these one another's. You can't do that unless you are joined with a local church, right? What about the Old Testament? I mean, 
we don't, you know, we don't usually go to the Old Testament as sort of the definitive um, example of how we structure New Testament, the New Testament church. But I think we can learn something from the Old Testament. What do you have in the Old Testament? You have a clear distinction between Israel and all the other nations, don't you? It has always been this way. That God has given the Israelites, or given his people, specific marks to distinguish them from all the other nations. Specifically, circumcision, the sacrificial system, obedience to the law, and the worship of the one true God. Right? So you have circumcision... That was like the primary means that God you know, marked out his people. The whole sacrificial system of bringing animals, slaughtering them. Um, um, and then, of course, that's tied with the law, right? And, and with the law and obedience to the law and the moral code. All of these things over and over. God says the, the point of this, or, or, or one major point, is so that other nations will see this. They'll see you worshiping the one true God, and they will want to come join you, right? So there's a clear distinction here between the Israelites and the other nations. So, you have New Testament ideas, Old Testament ideas. Why else do we practice church membership? Well, we see we find it in Scripture, but it's also a means of accountability to God and to one another. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 17, the author of Hebrews is finishing up his letter. He's just throwing out just all of these instructions. In verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So my question is, how are leaders supposed to watch over their flock in order to give an account for them unless there's a clear distinction about who that flock is, right? I mean, what we see in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul writing, do we judge outsiders? No, we don't judge outsiders. God judges outsiders. We judge those inside. How is a leader supposed to judge or shepherd his flock unless he knows who's inside, right? So there, once again, we have this clear distinction, who's in and who's out. And then, you know, you have the whole, the whole argument from church discipline as well. We saw that in, in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 5, you see it here in Hebrews, that the church is commanded to remove the man from their midst, Right? Um, the church is not to pronounce judgment on unbelievers or outsiders, but on believers. And we see that the purity of the church is to take priority, right? So how can, any of the, how can the church function in any of these ways unless there is some kind of church membership, some kind of clear accountability within the congregation, right? And so we see it in Scripture, we see it in the New Testament, we see um, the same kind of thing in the Old Testament. It's a means of accountability to God and to one another. And I would say the last reason why we practice church membership is uh, church membership helps maintain the unity of God's people. 
And we're going to see that this morning when we have the, the signing of the covenant. Every member at Redeemer Church has signed the same covenant. says the same thing across the board. It just gives general expectations on how to live the Christian life, how to serve in the church, how to love one another. These are things that all Christians should be doing. But what we are doing when we covenant together is we are signing a document and we are committing ourselves to fulfilling these expectations. So we see that the church is unified in this practice. When someone has made a commitment to the, to the local church, there's a greater sense of belonging and fellowship. You're all moving towards the same goal. You all have the same expectations. You know how to hold one another accountable. The goals and expectations of the church are clearly defined. So I think church membership helps maintain the unity of God's people. So the next question... Okay, Caleb, we see this in Scripture. We see that it makes sense, that it practically is a good idea. It it helps maintain our unity, our fellowship. Who is church membership for? Who can become a member? Can just anybody come in off the street? I want to join Redeemer Church. Sure, come on in. Sign the covenant, right? That's not really how it works. So who is church membership for? Well... I think there's at least two prerequisites for joining a congregation. Church membership is for those who have been regenerated and for those who have been biblically baptized. So we we certainly believe in, in regenerate church membership, right? That church membership is for believers only. I mean, that's clear in Scripture. I mean, if you're an outsider, if you're not part of the church you're sort of automatically assumed to be a non-believer, right? An unbeliever. But those who are in the church are assumed to be believers. In fact, that's what it means to be joined with a local church. The church is recognizing you as one who has been regenerated or filled with the Spirit or saved, you know. Those who have been biblically baptized. You know, baptism, we preached on baptism. Why do we practice baptism? Um... You know, baptism is just the first step of obedience for any believer, right? And so, for, in order to be joined with a local congregation, it's important that that congregation sees that first step of obedience, a public profession, a public display of what's happened in your heart, being dead to sin and raised to walk in the newness of life. And if you haven't done that and you want to join a church, I would just ask you, why haven't you been baptized? You know? I mean, it's something that you have a clear example of in Scripture. It's something that, that is necessary, not for salvation, but it is necessary for Christian obedience. And so that's why I, I think that baptism is a necessary requirement, a prerequisite for church membership. Um, and so th- that's why we practice that here. Um, Wayne Gruden puts it this way. When he talks about baptism and membership, he says, Baptism... And the Lord's Supper also serve as membership controls for the church. <laughs> Baptism is the means for admitting people into the church. And the Lord's Supper is the means for allowing people to give a sign of continuing in the membership of the church. The church signifies that it considers those who receive baptism and the Lord's Supper to be saved. Therefore, these activities indicate what a church thinks about salvation, and they are appropriately listed as a mark of the church today as well. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with, with Grudem there. So, who is church membership for? Church membership is for those who have been regenerated, those who have been saved, and those who have been biblically baptized. Last question. Why should you become a member? Why should you become a member of a local church? And let me just get real specific. Why should you become a member of Redeemer Church? The first reason why I think you should be a member of the of Redeemer Church is because a well-defined membership shows the world who is a Christian and who is not. Okay? So when you join with a local church, what you are doing is you are identifying yourself with that body. Now, whose body is that? Christ's body. Whose bride is that? Christ's bride, right? You have all this different imagery in the New Testament. And I mean, so when you are are joined with a local congregation, you are saying, yes, I am identifying myself with these people. I am identifying myself with Christ. We are his bride. We are his body. And that makes a clear distinction between who are the Christians and who are not, right? Because in our day, especially, there is just this huge blurring, isn't there? I mean, it's so hard. You have just, I mean, so many people I talk to, and I'm sure you have too, who claim to be believers, who claim to be Christians, but have no ties, no formal commitment to the local church. They just come and they go as they please. Serve here, serve there. There's not any real commitment. And I just want to tell you, that's a foreign concept to the New Testament. And some of you are sitting here, and you're in college. Most of you are. And you're thinking, what does this mean for me? You know, I mean, my home church back home is, you know, two hours away, three hours away. And I'm here. And so I really need to, and let me just make it real clear for you. You need to be serving at a church where you can minister to people most effectively, the people that you are around every day. Okay? That was very confusing. So let me just say it another way. (laughs) It came out a lot better when I thought about it earlier. Um, Wherever you spend the most time and you have the most opportunities for ministry, it is in that area that you need to be connected to a local church. Okay? So if you're in college and you're sitting around in your classes, sitting around dozens of unbelievers... How are you going to minister to them effectively unless there is a local church here in this region for you to point them to? And if you go, I mean, if you're here, then you probably don't go home every Sunday for for church. But if you do go home quite a bit and go to your home church, I just challenge you, why do you do that? I mean, you're a big boy. You're a big girl. You know, it's time to, to maybe cut those ties and and uh, you know, get involved locally so you can minister more effectively where you are in your college, on your college campus. Does that make sense? So I just challenge you in that area. A well-defined membership shows the world who is a Christian and who is not. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. This will be the last passage we look at. So why else should you become a member? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. The 
Apostle Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So why should you become a member? The second reason is because it will show the world that the gospel has the power to change lives. Here in Ephesians 2, we have the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, You Gentiles were once far off, but you have now been brought near. By the blood of Christ, the gospel has gone out to you. And by the blood of Christ, you are now joined with Jews. So you have Jews and Gentiles, people who are not supposed to love one another, loving one another. People who have nothing in common. The most important things to have in common in that day, they did not have in common. I mean, their entire history, you have pagans and you have Israelites. Completely different. And those things meant everything in that day. But here they are, by the blood of Christ, being brought together into one dwelling place. And this is all happening by the Spirit of God gathering His people. And so how, how will this ever be shown to the world? How will the world ever look at Redeemer Church and say, those people love one another. They're not supposed to love one another, but they do. I mean... Church membership is necessary for that to take place. Because we see in, within church membership you have accountability, you have fellowship, you have community, all of the discipleship happening so that we're all being conformed to the image of Christ, growing up into Him, into, into mature manhood, right? All of this is happening because we're locking arms together, covenanting together to take on this mission of God. And so the world sees that and they say, Redeemer Church is different. There's something about those people. Oh, you're you're a member at Redeemer. I've heard, you know, I know some other people that are members at Redeemer. Y'all are different. You know, this is one of the reasons why. I mean, in our, our community group, we've uh, sort of adopted um, um, the, the Starbucks close to my house. Um, got that, stole that idea completely from Jim. Um, it's totally his idea, or at least someone in his community group. They're already doing it to, with uh, Espresso Royale. But the whole purpose of that is to be totally upfront with people and say, look, we're from Redeemer Church. We like coffee. 
Here are some ways we're going to try to serve you. Thank you for making us coffee. Thank you for serving us. And we're just going to be up front. I mean, yes, we are trying to convert you. <laughs> I mean, maybe not that up front. But the whole point is like we are like, look, look, we're intentionally serving you because we believe that the gospel has changed our lives. And we believe that it, it can change yours as well. I mean, we're just going to be completely honest, right? That's the whole point. And so, I mean, and, and that might turn some people off. Sure. But, but the whole point is that when they think about Redeemer Church, they think, you know, those, hopefully they'll think, those guys are, are different. You know, they're going out of their way. They're sort of um, reshaping the way that they think about church. So why should you become a member? Third reason, sort of the same thing. It makes the gospel visible. When you become, when you join with a local congregation, what you are saying is, I'm identifying myself with these people. Now, where is our identification found? Where is our commonality found in the local church? It's found in Christ. Specifically, the work of Christ, right? What, what has Christ done? He's lived a perfect life. He's died for our sins. He has purchased us by his blood on the cross. He has risen from the dead. We believe, we hold these truths together. When we hold one another in the faith, and the gospel is then made visible to the world because they see that our lives are changed by it. The last reason why you should become a member is because the local church is how the Great Commission is accomplished. I mean, we said earlier that I mean, almost all of Paul's letters are written to churches. Almost every letter in the New Testament is written to churches. Even the Gospels were intended to be read to, to churches. The local church is how Christianity, the Christian mission of taking the Gospel to the nations, is going to be accomplished. It's only by working together. I mean, this cannot be done alone, right? I mean, this is common sense. I mean... Taking the gospel to the world, seeing the gospel go out to people who have never heard the gospel. This this is a team effort. It has to be done as a group. I mean, I mean, you can just go on and on with just how, how we can do this together and how it can't be done alone. I mean, resources like money and time. And, and talent and all of these things that come together in the body of Christ in order to fulfill the Great Commission is amazing. Something that cannot be done alone. And so the Great Commission, if it's to, to be accomplished, if it's to be sought after, if we're to be on mission for God, church membership is it's absolutely necessary. So, all of that is to say that church membership is biblical. We find it in Scripture. Um, we don't find the specific process of how to become a member in Scripture, which is why you, know, you go to any, any church that has church membership, and they're going to do it differently. You know, we have a f- three you know, two-hour classes that you come to, go over our statement of faith, go over our church covenant. We do these certain things. We're going to have a signing of the covenant. But every church does it a little bit differently. So you don't have the specific process of how it happens, but you definitely have, in the New Testament, a clear distinction. The leadership and the church knows who's in, and they know who is out. 
That's the purpose of church membership, to say that we are covenanting together as one body. In fact, we're going to sign a piece of paper that's written with black letters on white paper so that we all know the specific expectations, and we're going to go on mission together. We're going to do this together. We're going to live this Christian life together. And I'm going to need you to hold me accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable. And we're going to do this in front of all these witnesses and in front of God. So I just challenge you this morning um, in two ways. As we talked about the gospel and making the gospel visible. Is the gospel visible in your life? What I mean by that is, has the gospel taken root in your life? When you hear this story of Jesus coming, living a perfect life, dying and, and being raised from the dead, and then trusting Christ, having faith in Christ, is that something that rings true in your life? When you hear about the church coming together by the blood of Christ and being joined together, does that excite you? Do your affections get stirred when you hear that? Or is it just church jargon? So has the gospel taken root in your life? And if not, this morning, Christ is calling you. Repent and believe the gospel. The second challenge is for those of you who are believers and you have yet to commit to a local church. Um, hopefully this morning you see that it, it is biblical. You see that it is necessary. And hopefully you'll begin to think about your commitment to Redeemer. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not, I mean, <laughs> I think you should join Redeemer Church. Absolutely. If you're for Carbondale, maybe not. <laughs> but if you're here, if you're going to school, if you're in Champaign-Urbana, you need to be connected with a local church, formally connected. And so I just challenge you to consider that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, your word is sufficient. Even in matters of things that we consider kind of boring, like church polity and uh, membership and, and things like this. God, your word is sufficient. It has not left us in the dark. And God, in fact, when we begin to unpack these things, we see that they're not boring. We see that church membership is a manifestation of the gospel. That when we covenant together with one another for the purposes of discipleship, fellowship, and community, we are doing exactly what you have commanded us to do in Scripture. So God, this morning I pray for, for those of us here. Lord, I pray for Redeemer Church. God, I pray that there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that you right now, God, by your Spirit, will just be hovering. Your spirit will be working. And that, Father, maybe as they leave here today, that they would continue to think about the gospel. Think about Jesus. And as the gospel comes into contact with that spirit, God, that you would just, in an instant, flip the light switch on. 
change their hearts so that they would become, they would be transformed from a self-worshipper to a Christ-worshipper. And God, I pray for those here that have yet to join with us. God, I pray that you would continue to just um, reinforce what we've seen today, Lord, the, the necessity of being covenanted together with a local body. And that you would move them, Lord, by your spirit to take necessary steps to do that. And God, more than all of this, I pray that the gospel would be visible at Redeemer Church. Father, that when the world sees us, they would see that we have been changed. That we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for the things of this world. That we live for your glory and we are willing to give up everything, including our lives, to see you glorified. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.